Um, now, Adam, I'm very excited to hear from you. Yes. Your thoughts on Teenies, Tiners, Tiny, Tina oh, Wonderland. Sake. Oh, <laughs> Tina Turner's Wonderland. Tina, <laughs> Tina Turner's Underpants. Um, uh. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Well Played DLC podcast, Australia's smoothest gaming podcast, thanks to our sponsors, Manscaped. Head on over to manscaped.com and pick yourself up the new Lawnmower 4.0 for a very tidy 20% off using the code WELLSHAVED. And if you want to know more, listen out for the dulcet tones of Mr. Ash Whaling later in the episode chatting all things balls. Now you might notice the intro is coming from a slightly different mouth this week, that is my mouth. Our fearless leader, Zach Jackson, is off duty, so you've got myself, Kieran Verbrugge, as well as Big Dog, Nathan Hennessy, and Adam Mouthful Mode, Ryan. That How was are you, fellas? Oh, <laughs> what I'm an delight. intro. <laughs> How are we going? I couldn't be more energized for tonight's podcast. After that intro, that was so dynamic. <laughs> yeah, I'm excellent. <laughs> I'm I was getting a bit glad. tired, but now I'm all pepped up and ready to go. I'm glad. I'm glad. What's uh What's the week been like, Adam? How's your um How's your new place going? Have you unpacked everything yet, or are you like me, like still living out of boxes six months six months later? Nah, Key and I took the approach of just get everything unboxed within the first few days because we still had a couple of days, uh, like annual leave banked up after yeah. we had moved in. So we were just like, fuck it, let's just power through it, and then it can just be done. Um, of course, there's a million little things that we haven't found places for, and. We'll still be shifting around furniture and stuff for, for ages, but we're pretty comfortable now. We're, we're in a routine. Everything has kind of a temporary place. So, yeah, it's doing well. And I've nice. visited the bakery down the street like five or six times this week. Yes. What's good? What's like the best thing from there? I think, oh, it's tricky, but they're, they're pies. I'm, I'm a big fan of their pies. Yeah. They do a, a King Island pulled beef pie and it Ooh. is fucking fantastic God. it's you so get a good, good pie out of tassie to be honest like that's one thing i noticed when i was there yeah yeah oh, the pie, pie game pie game strong pie game is very strong and this is uh towards the top end of the spectrum especially the, the pastry such a good time oh so buttery boys you gotta you gotta come down and try this pie i'm <laughs> just a, for that yeah do, do i do a curried scallop pie i'm a sucker for a colored scallop pie Oh, mate, it's it's at like a, a Tasmanian tradition that I absolutely hate. I think they're <laughs> fucking Sounds awful. fucking awful. It's dreadful. <laughs> and I love the ones that are like, it comes with eight whole scallops. I'm like, oh, fuck that. That sounds terrible. Can I have less? Can I just have the pastry? Oh, no. Nah, I'm they're so shithouse, mate. disappointed. <laughs> they're fucking awful. If anyone's listening that thinks that might be okay, you're wrong. I'm sorry. They suck. Oh no, this is controversial. Let's move on. I don't think it's controversial. <laughs> I haven't even had one and I that sounds like a terrible time. Yeah. Nathan, how are you? Uh, <laughs> I think I was just having a slight crisis here. That was really concerning. <laughs> I mean, don't knock it till you try it, eh? No, look, I'm wonderful. I've had a week of insomnia, which would be pretty shit under normal circumstances, but there is just something so... consolidating and and lovely about playing video games 
at an hour that you can be undisturbed, particularly when it's a game that demands all of your attention for hours and hours on end. Yeah. Uh, and, and that will be a very particular game that we will uh, discuss in just a moment, I'm sure. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, what is, uh, outside of obviously the things we're going to talk about in the near future, Nathan, what have you been playing this week? Anything else? I've, uh, Elden Ring, I take it. <laughs> I've been pretty much, pretty much permanently adventuring inside the lands between. Um, yeah. I just, I, I, I want to quickly dish on this. So two things. One, if you're playing Elden Ring on a PlayStation 5, uh, friend, I'm sorry, but you need to hurry up and clean your controller. It's fucking filthy. Because I don't know about you guys, but playing on a PlayStation 5 with Elden Ring, it's it comes with the side caveat of permanent clammy hands. Mm-hmm. And permanent clammy hands on those white controllers means Grime City. It's, it's disgusting. So, uh, yeah, I've been getting very intimate with my white controller. It's no longer white. And... Uh, I'm still not. I don't know how far away that game is from finishing. I've. I think last time we spoke, I said I was like seventy or eighty hours in, and I. Th- I said I think. I thought I was nearing the finale. I just felt like I was heading towards a final act, and I was so wrong because thirty hours later, I'm about 100, 110 hours in. And my characters are level hundred and twenty, and the the end is not in sight. There is just so much adventure still wow. in there, and there's no That's filler. Unreal. I just keep. I just keep falling into these new worlds and, and, and new experiences, and it blows me away. Um, at the 30-hour mark, I would have said that I think Breath of the Wild is still probably maybe a number one game for me, or at least uh, superior in terms of these really exploratory and emergent games. But now being 110 hours into Elden Ring, I must say I'm, it, I think it's taken the crown. I think this game might be in my top three favourites of all time. Like it's, Whoa. It's big. It's, uh, it's pretty. I... I love it. It'll be there for me when April inevitably leaves me, and that's okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Big words. Jeez. Jeez. Adam? I mean, I've also Anything? been playing a little bit Elden Ring, but I don't think I have quite as many words to to say <laughs> no, lovingly give it a try. about it. <laughs> um, I'm only like 40 hours in, and I was like, maybe I'm, you know, approaching the midway point. It doesn't even sound like I'm anywhere near that, which I'm actually stoked about because I don't want the game to end. Um, Just keep I, going. I'm, I'm cool with that. I, although I did, I wandered into Kaled again thinking, <laughs> okay, I'm leveled enough now where this place is going to be a bit more of a breeze, and I just instantly got smashed into the ground. Like, I, I ran into an enemy that just one-shot me, and I was like, okay, never mind, bye now. I'll just go back to Kaylin's another part of the map. my favorite place to hang out. Oh, <laughs> mate, it's... That place is fucked. It is so rough. The red sky should really be an indication to stay away, and... Yeah, nah, I'll... It's just the, the atmosphere in that, era can, in that area can only be classified as aggressive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it has an aggressive atmosphere. Like, you can't... Nothing you can see or touch, like, it doesn't want to kill you. Yeah, it's so and, brutal. And the fact that at the start of the game, you're sort of cordoned off to a particular area of the map. Like, it, it kind mm. of walls you in and it says, okay, this is basically your starting area. So yeah. you've got the place where you start. That's already hard enough. And then you can just accidentally wander into Caleb. Like, yeah. a game, like, a part of the game I'm still struggling with at 110 hours in. Like, what a prank. I, like, mapped out the entirety of Caleb before I'd even like sniffed Margaret's asshole. So. Oh my. Oh my. That's well, not me. No, no. 
that, that place gave me like nightmares, man. <laughs> so yeah, it's good. rough. I'm keen to get in there once I do actually genuinely have enough confidence to to get through it. But 40 hours in, it is it is not the time. So I'll be <laughs> I'll be taking a break and going back in a bit later. Um, but outside of Elden Ring, I've I've not had much on the go other than review games that we'll likely talk about in a moment. But what about you, KV? What have you been up to? Um, I mean, yeah, mostly review stuff. Um, but I did dabble a little bit in a game that I've been very keen for for a while called Anno Mutationum, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is one of those little projects out of the China Hero Project publishing endeavor. Um, I've only only played maybe a couple of hours, but uh, very, very cool little world, visual, like, you know, the 2D kind of sprite art combined with like 3D stuff is very, very cool. Um, almost reminds me of that game we never got. Uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called now. That um, Xbox announced at E3 maybe like three or four years ago. It was like all cyberpunk, like pixel art. Um, shit, what's it called? I'm going to have to Google this. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion. I know the one you're talking about. And like, uh, it was like very neon. Creed was an asshole or something. And um, Yeah, oh, we're thinking night, of the, the same one. Night. We're thinking of yeah. the exact same one. It was like Tales of the Neon City or something. If I'm no, it's called The Last Night. The Last Night, right. Yeah, yeah. okay. I'm with you. Because um, I remember not it was quite like, as, Yeah, a bit controversial yeah. at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Not not quite as high fidelity as that, but it gives me those sorts of vibes, which is very, very cool. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I've also been playing a little bit of Elden Ring. I think I've only popped in maybe 20 hours so far. Um, but I'm currently uh, about to... F- fight whatever is at the end of the academy what the hell i didn't get to the academy until like 50 hours in man you're flying through well yeah i mean i haven't really done anything else in that area leonia or whatever it is um but i've pretty much just i've pretty much cleared out limgrave of everything that i could find you're Um, about to to jump into a visually stunning boss fight fuck yeah i mean fantastic that entire like the lake area and that academy those like oh hogwarts the the, the, the starting area (laughs) where it's just like (laughs) the starting like limgrave itself where it's kind of just like this uh it it almost like coming from someone who hasn't played souls games before and you know my open world experience is very much uh the norm um coming from like breath of the wild limgrave feels like hey it's like better breath of the wild (laughs) <laughs> and then you get to like Leonia or like Kaylin or anywhere else. And it's just like, Hey, this is completely different to everything you've ever seen. Yep. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely acts as obviously it is it within it is the tutorial area, but yeah. Limgrave itself is very much the tutorial. Yeah. Like kind it's, of quadrant of the map. And then as soon as you yeah. move out of that, they're like, all right, let's put it up into another gear and really take you to some, some cool places. Yeah. So you yeah, know, I'm I'm enjoying that. I'm I'm keen to now that I've knocked out a few reviews. Hopefully, get some time to really sink my teeth into it. But mm-hmm. it's good. It's good stuff. Good gear. We'll chat more um, on that next week. <laughs> we'll chat more on that next week when I finish the game in thirty hours. Hey, um, uh, I think that's it though. So I think we've uh, we've got quite a few big titles to talk about this week. Actually, yeah, stacked. Um, I. I guess we'll um we'll go in order of this beautiful document that Adam has put together um, because I feel like I'm into that order. It's it's very zen. Um, so Ghostwire Tokyo, Ooh. we've discussed on this podcast before because there was a preview period. 
So I did get to reveal a few of my early thoughts. Um, those haven't really changed too much. Um, I think the first two chapters of the game pretty much tells you all you need to know about the remaining five chapters of the game. Mm. Um, it's <sighs> This was a hard one to review uh, because I love being in this game. It's such a cool... Uh, such a cool little little world, little environment. So many cool details. So much attention paid to context and background, and it feels like I think I said in my review. Despite everyone in the in Tokyo being dead, it feels like one of the most lived-in open worlds that I've kind of come across in video games. Just because of how you know every placement of every car, every you know random ass collectible money bag like everything makes it, it makes sense where everything is and i think that's really really cool um visually it's very very nice um but like this the main the main plot kind of doesn't really go anywhere or doesn't really have much impact um and the combat uh basically hasn't changed from when i last spoke about it it's still very one note very cool it feels good it looks good it's just it doesn't it doesn't change much over the course of the you know 12 or so hours to finish the main portion of the game. Um, and it's got this, like the pacing is, the pacing is super weird because yeah, you can, you know, if you breeze through all the main missions and ignored everything else, you probably, you know, clock 10 hours in it. Um, but then if you went and did all the collectible hunting and yoka hunting and side quests and everything else, um, you probably like get, you know, closer to like 40 or 50. Like one of the things you can do in the game is like save every single spirit in Shibuya, which is there's like 240,000 of them. Um, I mean, like the, it's like 100 a piece when you rescue them. But like that would take you, you know, dozens and dozens of hours just to do that one thing. Um, so it's, it's a very weird balance of like core content and just like, uh, I guess like, I don't want to say busy work too much, but it's, it, most of it feels like busy work, but the side mm. quests are really cool. All the writing and all the side quests are cool. You kind of like it, the main, the main quest is all about Akito and KK, but the side quests generally are all about like how cool of a paranormal detective KK is. Cause he's like, you go into like, you know, this house that's being haunted and he's like, Oh, it's probably this yokai. Cause it does this and this, and you like go and investigate it and they're very like rapid fire side quests, but they're always really entertaining. Um, I just, yeah, like it's kind of like, I guess the closest thing I can compare it to is like a Yakuza game mm. mm-hmm. where the city right. is very like the city is the star. Yeah. And then everything else you do in it is just what you do in it. It's uh, um, bol- bolted on almost. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so strange, but I kind of respect it. Like it's a very like, Tango Gameworks just did what they wanted to do, you know, like it, it feels uh, like it's very, I guess, like anti-design almost like they knew what they were doing when they designed it this way and they knew that people weren't going to be completely on board with it, but this is the game they wanted to make and this is how they wanted to present it. So um, as much as I, you know, I scored it a seven and a half, so obviously that's not a glowing indictment, but it's still, you know, one of my like one of the most memorable things I've played in a while just for the the world and the atmosphere. And I know, um, Nathan, you've, uh, I don't know how much you've played of, of it, but you've been playing it. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> just started uh, and made my way pretty swiftly through just sort of tending to stick to the critical path, but uh, appro- mm. like doing side quests as they just naturally pop up in my path. Yep. That's 
what I like to do with open world games. I don't normally go off the beaten path too much. So I'm four chapters in. Um, and Okay, so you... <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, like based on what you've just said there, it sounds like I'm a fair, fair chunk of the way through despite feeling like I've only just started. Um, I agree with most of what you said there, and uh, for, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but you folks would be aware that I was pretty... I, I, I've poo-pooed this game a little bit in terms of you what have I've seen. Bit. I remember. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was a bit looked a bit average, particularly the combat was the sticking point. So I haven't changed my view on the combat, but I've changed my view on the rest of the game. So exactly as you've said, uh, Tokyo and Shibuya that we get to inhabit here is is next to none. Like This is an absolutely enthralling atmospheric world. And I think I was happy to make a few concessions here to really enjoy the game. So because I came in with the expectation that the combat looked a bit naff and then getting hands-on with it, if you've got a DualSense controller, it redeems the combat a lot because, as you say, it feels good in the hand. Like, it's really weighty and the vibrations are really chunky. But the combat itself, if you if you took out that controller and replaced it with a PS4 controller, the combat just kind of feels a little bit weightless. Um, enemies just kind of... Uh, bullet sponges in a way so you're just sort of flinging these powers at them almost like you're tossing water balloons at them it's it doesn't have a whole lot of impact so it didn't really enthrall me that much but then you get to rip out the cores and stuff like that and your controller's just going absolutely off and that's that's kind of cool a little bit but i just tried i found very very quickly that i'd do everything to avoid combat if i could i would um, yeah. go vertical so the I, I really am quite impressed with the fact that the game doesn't waste any time in inducting you in uh, both story and gameplay wise so real early on I'm, I'm flying to the tops of these really tall buildings and and then flying between the rooftops and then back down onto the ground and it's seamless and the and there's almost this uh, kind of light parkour element like the mantling mm. works really really well and uh, I, I mentioned to you Kieran that uh, kind of amusingly I felt more in control of this than I did Dying Light 2 where I'd quite often just end up eating dust um, so yeah. for me, exploring this world was a lot more exciting and a lot more enjoyable than Dying Light 2. But there will be a lot of people that don't agree with that simply because they want an action game that feels visceral. And I don't think you really get that here. This is more, if you approach this as a kind of virtual tourist, this game is like unmatched. Like for me, this is one of my favorite virtual tourism games so I've got to eat humble pie a little bit. I think that there is actually a lot that redeems this game from what I saw in the preview footage or the, not the preview footage, but the trailers. So I've come around on it. I think I'll finish it. I probably won't stick around for too much of the side quests. They're, they're brilliantly written with a lot of humor. Again, that's something that you've mentioned I couldn't agree with more. But there's also just a lot of character lacking in terms of visuals. When you've got such a... A visually distinct Tokyo, you've got such also a, a really visually muted um, cast of side characters, just kind of floating mm. specters that order you around and don't really have any kind of definition. Um, I think also one thing that stood out really, really well was the voice acting. Like, if you stick that on Japanese, you can't go back. Like, it's outstanding. It's so good. Yeah. Even even I'll make Zach Jackson agreed with that. So that's when you know it's good. Huge. So when, it, when I, he's happy to read subtitles, yeah, <laughs> I, I genuinely think it elevates the game. Um, I think if you're going to do the side quests and that, and listen to the English dub, particularly how they like tune the voices, that kind of like weird auto tune that makes them kind of sound like pitchy and uh, weird. I don't think that that sounds really good in the English dub, but in the Japanese, it sounds really um, kind of almost a little bit haunting. 
Um, the Yoko not, voices are really well produced. Exactly. I, yeah, I agree. I really like them. Yeah. So right across the board, the voice acting is really terrific in the, in the Japanese. Visually, the game is just brilliant. Like I can't talk enough about how walking through this neon city, um, it looks so good. And I just wish I had it on a rig capable of running at 60 frames with the ray tracing. Because when I turn the ray tracing on, you, I don't know about you, Kieran, but I did kind of notice the difference immediately. Yeah. But I didn't like the night, frame concession. It's night and day with the ray tracing. Like it adds a lot. Such 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 a big uh it's a, such a big shift in depth. Um because everything in the because because the the city is so cluttered, hmm. everything reacts with everything else around it and it actually really ties it all together nicely, like lighting wise and reflection wise. And if you're if you're playing on the PS five you can have sixty FPS and ray tracing at the same time. Oh, I must have um, missed that. Oh dear. Yeah, there's like six visual modes. There's there's ray tracing at 30 and performance at 60 at 4K. Then there's a ray tracing at 60 at a lower res. So you sacrifice oh. like it's it is significantly blurrier, but I, that's the way I prefer to play for sure. I need to have um, a look into this. So you should definitely check that out. Mm, mm. But um, um your 7.5, I think, is bang on the money. And and I think that 7.5 is going to be brilliant for people that don't mind fobbing off the combat. But as yeah. I said, if you really want an action adventure with an emphasis on the action, I don't know. It may not be everyone's cup of tea. Bethesda just publishes really good 7.5s. I don't know how else to, to say that, but they do. <laughs> you just reminded me of something. Um, I could be well off the mark here, but as a Bethesda published title, I... Yeah kind of had the impression that the combat was probably an afterthought a kind of thing that was bolted on later on because it didn't it, it's not it doesn't grow and it yeah. kind of almost felt a bit non-essential and it almost seemed a bit odd to me that it was even in the game just because it didn't it didn't really have much of a dynamic like after the first hour you've seen most of what the combat or second hour you've seen most of what the combat has to offer yeah 100 it felt almost a bit like a a, a really simplified kind of like doom or, or bethesda shooter in terms of you've got your your, your fast attacks and your, your big chunky um explosive attacks and mm. i don't know it felt kind well, of thing first that... person shootery but not you know yeah, that's way. the thing that struck me the most, I think, is that like the elements that you have, because you have wind, uh, like water and fire, those elements aren't elemental attacks. They're the type of bullet that you're using. Effectively, yeah. Um, which like I, I didn't like I didn't realize it was going to be like that when I first fired it up. I was like, oh, OK, this, I, I, you know, expecting there to be some kind of like you know, rock, paper, scissors, like elemental you know, no. scheme or anything like that. But it's literally just like wind is a handgun, water is a shotgun, and yep. fire is like lobbed grenades. But That's like, so it, weird. I don't, I don't mind it. Yeah. It's, again, like the game does a really good job of contextualizing, um, you know, that Japanese folklore and mysticism and urban myths into like a modern sort of setting. Um, so I think it works, but yeah. Mm. I, I just wondered if, it, if they couldn't have actually... <clears throat> in my my impression was there was nothing stopping them from sort of almost giving you an arsenal of like spirit weapons so that you've got I yeah. mean they give you a bow for instance so you, you you do have a physical weapon so why didn't they give you like these sort of maybe like um you know something you can stick on your wrist or some gloves and some th stuff to change it up because yeah. um, all, all the all the enemies they have physical weapons there. They're not fire, or, or some of them do, some of them don't. But they're not always firing elements back at you. So 
I don't know. Some, something about me just felt like it was the most bolted on feature. And I know I'm ragging yeah. on it. It's not bad. It just, when you put it, when, when you compare it to first person shooters, in general, yeah. as a genre, it's it's not quite up to snuff. Like It doesn't quite yeah. have as much dynamic as other I think, titles. Yeah. 100%. I hope, like, it'd be cool to see more of it in oh, the yeah. future. Um, I know, like, going from Evil Within 1 to Evil Within 2 for Tango, like, I hated the first game. But, I <laughs> like, the second game is one of my favorite horror games of all time. So, you know, if, if this base is already good, maybe a sequel is something we should, you know, think about. But, mm. yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to quickly say, last comment from it. me on Ghostwire, controversially. Um, I, I liked Evil Within 1 and 2. No issues with them. Thought they were good games. I think Ghostwire Tokyo is my favourite Tango Gameworks game, and and this comes from someone that really wasn't that keen on this game going in at all. Fair, mm. big call. It's good. I'm glad you came around. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Adam, are you gonna give this a raz? Uh, so I I booted it up today. Oh yeah, it's sick. I played about half an hour before I needed to get back to work because I tried to sneak it in on my lunch break. Of um, you did. The the atmosphere just from the 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 outset is fantastic. Like I'm above all else, just keen to get back into the world and explore all of the little nooks and crannies. Like going through the the first location. I don't know if it's really that much of a spoiler, but seeing all of like the the clothing on the ground and there's like wheelchairs where old people were and all their clothes are still there. Like it's incredibly intriguing. Yeah. And I want to explore that more, but yeah, the, the combat from what I've played, yeah, like it's, it's fine. It's serviceable. I think it'll do enough to get me through to just see the rest of the world. And I think that's all it really needs to do. So I'm, I'm still, I'm very keen to, to jump back in and play more for sure. Nice. Um, moving on to the next title. Uh, another review that I've posted this week, Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Another game that we have talking uh, we have talking about we've talking about this in the in the past uh, we've spoken about <laughs> this game in the past on the podcast. Um, unlike Tokyo Ghostwire, though, my thoughts have changed a little bit since last time we spoke, because I distinctly remember uh, saying that I was not unimpressed, but just a little bit let down by how uh, staunchly traditional a Kirby game it was, even in three D. Um, I made a mistake saying that. <laughs> they did the right thing. The first world, which is what I could talk about uh, up until that point, is very traditional Kirby with the addition of obviously a few new little wrinkles in the mouthful mode and stuff. Um, but after that, these, I don't know if either of you are big Kirby fans or if you played like, you know, most of the mainline Kirby titles, but these are mm. the best levels in Kirby history. And, and Kirby's Damn. always had a great imagination. So and this is Kirby's, exciting. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're not universally all amazing, but for the most part, they are incredible. Um, the, the two things that really elevate them, the copy abilities being uh, able to be upgraded. So every copy ability that Kirby has in this game you can upgrade to a level two and a level three, which gives them new abilities, new strengths, new little gameplay wrinkles. Um, and then obviously the titular mouthful mode, 
um, which essentially works in the same vein as, as copy abilities and the way that they've always worked in this series is where, you know, you get to a, a puzzle or a blocker in a level. Generally, there's the right copy ability somewhere nearby for you to progress, um, whether it's like a hole in the ground and there's an enemy with a hammer that you need to go and, you know, relieve them of or whatever. Um, mouthful mode's a little bit more rigid than that. Usually there's particular sections in levels specifically designed around it, um, but they're never anything short of just pure charm, <laughs> pure charm and delight. Um, there's just like never a moment in this game where I didn't have a big smile on my face. Um, everything's just like, yeah, just full of imagination. The visuals are super, super lush. Um, Kirby is obviously an icon, <laughs> um, even more so when he's got his mouth wrapped around objects that he shouldn't. Um, there are some, <laughs> there are some pretty cool surprises for that, uh, towards the end of the game as well. Um, Story-wise, like, again, at the beginning when we first spoke about it, it was kind of just like, eh, Nintendo story stuff. But um, it it dives into some deep curvy lore cuts and gets a little bit existential towards the end, which is amazing. Oh, wow. Um, the challenge is back. There's, you know, most of the game is fairly simple because these are obviously designed to be played by, you know, a wide, wide audience. But there is um, these little optional challenges called treasure roads that give you a specific copy ability. And basically it's like a little gauntlet run of, um, you know, time trial sort of stuff. Um, those are a lot of fun. There's like a hefty post game with a little bit more challenge than everything that's come before it. Um, there's tons of content. There's like collectible little gacha figurines. There's an arena, there's mini games. Um, it's just like, yeah, they've just blown the the Kirby game wide open with this in the transition to 3D. Um, and I, yeah, I have very few faults with it other than the first world being kind of like average. I'm so pleased to hear this because after hearing you talk about it, I was in the mindset that I had to really lower my expectations. Like, this is going to be a good game. No, raise them, be... raise them back up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you kind of you kind of put me on ice there for a little bit. I was like, okay, like, it's going to be a decent game. We're, we're going to have a good time, but I'm expecting, you know, it's going to be easy. I'll knock it over in six hours and I won't think about it again. Like, that, that was kind of going yeah. back into that mindset. That's usually been the Kirby mindset. You yeah. know, I'm going to have a good weekend with this game and then immediately yeah. forget about it. But this sounds like it's back. It's, uh, it's going to stick around for longer than a good time. Yeah, look, I mean, it's still, like, it still is a Kirby game. Like, mm. it, you know, it's it doesn't have the challenge of some other Nintendo platformers. It doesn't have the depth of Mario Odyssey, obviously. Um, but what's there is just, you know, finely tuned, great boss battles, great level designs. Um, some the, the soundtrack is immaculate. Ooh. I there is, oh, Kirby does soundtracks like nothing else. Yeah like the whole way the whole way through the game i was vibing with the soundtrack there's one level i think it's in like the last world where i like it loaded up and the music started and i was like holy shit this is next level like whatever is in this in this soundtrack is just pure uh video game audio crack so uh, <laughs> enjoy that so this is a this is going to get at least one goatee contender from you perhaps maybe in the music category perhaps you say throaty contender? Go yeah, Kirby is, a, throaty. Kirby is a throaty <laughs> contender. Um, oh, I well, wish I did enjoy that as much as I did. 
I yeah. made the oh. mistake of trying to correct you, but doing so hubrisly and then realizing, no, he actually pivoted on a really strong joke. Uh. Uh. <laughs> yes, no, this will, like, I'd be surprised if this isn't my favorite music of the year, if not my favorite platformer. I don't know what else we've got on the way, but, um, yeah, fantastic. Wow, we're starting if you like strong. Kirby at all, get around it. Uh, it makes me a little sad that I got rid of my Switch because I do love Kirby. Kirby's Dreamland 2 was one of the first games I ever finished on the Game Boy. And yep, nice. me too, bro. This, this game just looks like what I would have wanted from Kirby's Dreamland 2 as a kid or like how I looked at that game when I was little is in my head kind of what this looks like. I, I've, I've explained that terribly, but this is like a childhood <laughs> dream come true for me and I'm very sad that I can't play it. But yeah, I think I might have to facilitate getting around this because it, it, it looks <laughs> like such a good time. Do it. Um, yeah. You can uh, you can check out that review and the Ghostwire Tokyo review over on the website. I gave Kirby a nine out of ten, um, which is uh, not. Uh, I was worried that I was going to be on the you know on the the big end of the spectrum on that, but it's polling quite well on Metacritic as well. So it looks like everybody's loving it. Um, now, Adam, I'm very excited to hear from you. Yes, your thoughts on. Teenies, Tina's, Tiny, Tina oh, Wonderland. Oh, Tina Turner's Wonderland. Tina, <laughs> Tina Turner's underpants. Um, uh, I didn't even get it wrong this time. I actually got it right. But yes, I've been playing Tiny Tina's Wonderland. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, which for for those who aren't aware is the Borderlands spinoff that takes place in the like the very D&D like tabletop game called Bunkers and Badasses. It's more or less a a full game worth of Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep, which was DLC for Borderlands 2, which was fantastic. Um, this builds on that as well as the Borderlands formula in every way that I would want it to. It definitely it's it's iterating. It's not a massive evolution or a huge step forward. It is still Borderlands in a fantasy world, but what it does add to it makes it, for my money, the most overall enjoyable Borderlands experience that I've played. I still love to for the characters and for the story, but mechanically it's definitely the most sound Borderlands game out there. Um, and it's just enjoyable. Like, it's a lot of fun... The humor actually hits, which Borderlands kind of has been a bit here, yeah, there, wow. and everywhere. Um, it's it's meta in the right way this time because obviously your your character is playing a character, and so too are your the supporting cast. So they're making a lot of over the table remarks. So as you would in D anD D, going from role playing to being like, "Hey, can I actually?" instead of using this skill, can I use this skill in this situation? Like there's a lot of table talk, which is super meta, but in a really playful way. Um, but yeah, so it's set in this fantasy world, uh, obviously with guns, it's Borderlands. There's always going to be guns, but they have kind of a, a mystical, magical element to them. So the SMGs, instead of firing like a hail of bullets, it's like a, a stream of energy that would hit the enemy in this in the same sort of capacity as a normal SMG would. Um, so they're all still present. You've got your SMGs, pistols, shotguns, all the like. All the loot is still as diverse as it is in the normal Borderlands games. 
but you also have spells, which in my preview, this is a, a, a Kirby situation for you, KV. I kind of just said they were more visually interesting grenades. I was wrong. I'll admit that I was completely wrong. They are a pretty integral part of combat, whereas in the Borderlands games, you can kind of just forget about your grenades and, and move on. Uh, they're tied to one of the bumpers and you'll be using them constantly. And they're on a very quick cooldown. They have awesome abilities. So one of the first really cool ones I got gathered together all the enemies in an area and then just dropped a giant fucking meteor on them and did a bunch of AOE damage. Yeah. Another one like shoots out icicles that freeze enemies in place. Um, you can have this big like tunnel of fire erupt from the ground. So yeah, they're, they're visually interesting ways to damage your opponents, but they also alter the battlefield quite a lot and can recontextualize a fight pretty quickly. Like it's, yeah, they're, they're a bit more integral than I maybe gave them credit for in my preview, let's say. Um, but you can also choose between one of six classes uh, that are all very, very, very different, which is another big tick in the box for Wonderlands being better than Borderlands. The Borderlands classes, while interesting enough, uh, at least up until three were just kind of something you could do every 45 seconds to a minute. Whereas here, they they all feel distinct and they change the way you play the game. Like, fundamentally, they change the way you approach combat. So I chose the spell shot, which their ability was they could either dual-wield spells, which gets really hectic, um, or their main ability is you can turn an enemy into a sheep that floats around and you can just damage them without having any worries about them attacking you, which is as funny and fun as it sounds. Um, I also, because you can multi-class once you're a certain way through the game, fairly, fairly soon on as well. Like it, it doesn't make you wait for it too long. Um, I chose the Spore Warden. So I became like a, a hybrid between a sorcerer and a druid, I suppose. And I could conjure these big, like icy tornadoes. And I had a little mushroom man that was my companion, which is the fucking best thing. And I want him in all of my games. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you can mix and match all of the the different classes after a little while. Once you get to the end of the game, you can freely change your secondary class just on the fly, which is fantastic. Fuck like yeah. you you can get around that variety without having to replay the game in its entirety, which I think is awesome. Uh, but yeah, the combat is really slick. Again, it's it's nothing too far away from the Borderlands experience, but it's just kind of the the peak of all of the mechanics that they've brought into the game while adding in a few little bits and pieces here and there that make it really click with me. And I think it'll click with a lot of people that have either played the series or are just first person shooter fans. So a pretty, a pretty big thumbs up in that department and the world and the characters and the story absolutely kick ass. All of the different biomes are really cool. They're like, you know, the, sand dunes to underwater temples to uh like snowy mountains filled with goblins like they're all very i suppose paint by numbers fantasy locations with borderlands twists that i won't spoil there may be a few characters here and there that pop up yes claptrap's in the game and he's a piece of shit still <laughs> um <laughs> i know not, not I know. Buying it anymore fuck it yeah, he's he's only in a side quest though so you can ignore him for oh, the most God. part so you'll be fine um 
but the the main characters that you'll interact with are Tiny Tina, which you can either take or leave. I know some people aren't a huge fan of her. She's a lot more endearing this time around. She shows some vulnerability and some actual character growth instead of just being a, a loud teenager um, without going too far into the really not that important story, but all the same, it shows kind of her using tabletop gaming as an escape from the the shitty world that she lives in. So it, it actually has a fair bit of heart to it, which is cool. Um, but Fret and Valentine are the two players that you're at the table with, and they're voiced by Andy Samberg and Wanda Sykes. And the big bad villain, being the Dragon Lord, um, is... Oh, his name has escaped me. Is Hold it on. Will Arnett? It's Will Arnett. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. He is fucking phenomenal. He is so... He's very oh. much plays the role of the handsome Jack who's kind of always in your ear and kind of berating you or telling you how shit you're doing. But he's also insecure. Like there's one point where he says, am I, am I a bad enough villain? Do you hate me enough? Do you have any mentors that I could kill? Would that help the situation? Like his, his dialogue is really good. All of the dialogue is good, but his performance is fantastic. Like, I think I may actually enjoy him more than handsome Jack, which is saying something because he he was a pretty solid villain but all of their performances are phenomenal like they're they're proper great and you never get sick of because they're they are always talking at you like it is constant but i always wanted to listen which is something that a lot of games tend to get wrong when there's you know it's super dialogue heavy even when you're mid-combat that shit gets old like think um biomutant with the narrator like that got old real fucking fast and it just doesn't here because it's it's entertaining it's funny and it yeah it just it doesn't wear which is which is great um there are some negatives it'll be a little bit on the short side for some but kieran you and i have discussed maybe not not so much for us i think i knocked out the main story in 13 to 14 hours um oh that's that's great i think it's the i I genuinely think it's the perfect length perfect length for me for a Borderlands game, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, there is side content. Some of the side missions are really good and they have uh, like their own locations and their own stories. The rest of the side content you can completely miss. Like it, it, it just uses kind of generic rooms. You clear out enemies, you get a MacGuffin, you take it back to the, the quest giver. That That's pretty much the extent of the rest of the side content. It's, it's pretty, pretty basic. Um, and you, you take all of these side quests in the overworld, which is kind of, it acts as the table more or less. You're moving your miniature along the table. Um, and there are random encounters, which is a choice. Um, and that takes you out of the overworld and it loads you into one of these paint by numbers encounters that you clear out, get some loot from, and then move on. It really, it messes with your, your flow and the pacing a lot. Luckily, you can, you really, really can ignore them. Like you melee the character and they go away or you can just walk past them. But it just baffles me as to why it was even included in the first place. Like it just feels very pointless. Um, Outside of that, the loot pool is a little bit awkward. You don't start getting interested, like properly interesting loot until you're maybe eight, nine hours into the game, which it probably could kick in a little bit earlier, being that it's a bit shorter. Um, but honestly, aside from that, I had an absolute blast 
playing Wonderlands. I more expected it to be kind of Borderlands light, but it turned out to be the best Borderlands experience that you can play at the moment. Because Borderlands 3 is a bit bloated, kind of outstays its welcome. Borderlands 2 is a little bit dated these days. I think if you're after the quintessential Borderlands experience to its best, this is where you want to be looking. Hell yeah. I'm like, honestly, the the most that you've sold me on it is saying that it's shorter than, yeah, at least shorter than Borderlands 3. Because that game was way too long. It was. Way, way too long. And um, and the dialogue, man. Like um, Borderlands Three. I don't know if you recall, but but the dialogue in that game was vacuous. Garbage. Yeah, it was yeah. vacuous. It was in your ear. Like I know this because I only played it last year, and having not played it on release, and having heard that the dialogue wasn't that strong, I found it quite uh, quite defeating, quite distracting. I wasn't keen on it at all. So this yeah. having having some endearing characters, having some funny characters natter away in your ears. That's like. That's that's classic for Borderlands for me, and, and that three didn't have that, you know, yeah, three didn't pull that off. The fact that this does, and it's shorter, um, it's it's full four player co op as usual, I imagine. Yep, sure is. Yeah, okay. that's gonna be good. Yeah, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to play it in co op, but I think is as far as the review goes, that I think may you have... will soon. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But I think the fact that I had this much fun with it playing solo is. Mm-hmm. A, a massive compliment to just how good the game is. But yeah, Nathan, if you were burnt out by the dialogue and the characters in three, this is going to give you, give faith back to you for sure. Like Fret and Valentine are fantastic and they, they act as two sides of the same D and D player coin. Like one of them is very heavy on rules. Like Fret is a robot. So she's very much like we've got to play by the rules with combat, with rolling dice, that's how it works. And Valentine at one point asks if he can romance a drawbridge to make it fall down. And <laughs> Tina, being the the great DM that she is, she's like, that makes no sense. Let's do it. That sounds Let's great. Um, and there's plenty of moments like that where you'd be you'd be um, used to it if you played Assault on Dragon Keep, but the the game world changes as Tina commands it to. So there's one point where you're tasked with destroying a whole bunch of catapults, but you realize after you've destroyed the last one, that it would be a whole lot cooler if you used the catapult to launch yourself. So there's a bit of back and forth in the dialogue being like, Hey Tina, can we just say that we, we didn't do that last thing? And she's like, nah, man, you just, you rolled for it. You did it. And they're like, come on, you never let us break the rules. And she finally relents. And then you see the catapult put itself back together and then you (laughs) use it and it falls apart again. Like if you've ever played D and D that, conversations like that happen every single time you play the game. Like there's always those moments of wait, 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 this would be way cooler. Let's just bend the rules a little bit so we can have just a funner experience. And it shows that. So the writers are definitely either fans of D and D or have definitely played the game before. Cause there's a lot of references and they feel genuine rather than just kind of tacked on, which is yeah. Awesome. Really, really great. Nice. And what'd you score it? I gave it a big, tasty 8.5. Yeah, very solid. Yeah, I had a really, very really good, good time with it. Yeah, keen. I think I'll be getting around that this weekend. Yeah. I've got a feeling I'm going to want to jump into that. Um, before we go any further, though, uh, a quick word from our very own Ash Whaling, uh, talking all things Manscaped, thanks to our sponsors. 
Mm -mm. Splish Splash, I was taking a bath and I noticed I have beautiful balls. Our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in below-the-waist hygiene, are turning men's shower dreams into their favourite routine with the all-new Ultra Premium Collection. This all-in-one hygiene skin and hair bundle is designed to upgrade the everyday man's shower routine from head to toe. Your skin, hair and balls deserve this. Save big by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code WELLSHAVED. Now as a guy, I can tell you that 9 times out of 10, my showers involve hot water, a little bit of soap and probably about 2 minutes of actual effort. But let me walk you through the Manscaped shower routine once you have access to the new Ultra Premium Collection. Step 1. Lather on the cologne-infused Ultra Premium Body Wash with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean and moisturised all day. Step 2. Hair care time. Can't neglect that. Apply the 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner that cleanses and nourishes all in one easy step. Plus, the non-greasy formula has a base of coconut water, green tea and aloe turmeric to really get you smelling good. Also, don't forget to apply this to your armpits and pubes, alright? Step 3. Once you hop out of the shower, protect yourself from body odour by applying the Manscaped Aluminum-Free Deodorant. This deodorant dries clear and is also cologne-infused to make that special person really notice how good you smell. Step 4. Maybe apply the Manscaped Lip Balm. I mean, it's a free gift when you purchase the Ultra Premium Collection, so, I mean, what do you got to lose? And last but not least, yeah, we're still using the Lawnmower 4.0 electric trimmer to clean off any unwanted body hair. Not to mention the Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof, so you bet it's now a major key to any shower routine. This elite trimmer was designed in a lab to trim hair on loose skin, so even though your balls might look like punching bags, don't treat them like one. Benefit from the proprietary skin-safe technology. Show them you care. This new bundle will change your life and we want all of you to get a hold of it, so please save big by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code WELLSHAVED. Get your groom on. That code again, WELLSHAVED. Now, Nathan. Kieran. You also have a couple of things to talk about this week. Just a couple of little items. So, I, wanted to, I wanted to give you the floor to, to have those have those conversations with us so very generous thank you for sharing <laughs> so uh first first cab off the rank so destiny 2 the witch queen's review that i published went live a bit over a week ago now but it was lacking one core feature of a destiny review and that was the raid there was no mention of the raid i've since had an opportunity to go back and do the raid the new road excuse me the new raid is called vow of the disciple is that right it is indeed so uh in the witch queen uh, this takes place in the witch queen's uh throne world i believe the throne world's kind of like a, a ship and a parallel universe all in one and it follows the routine or the pattern of most destiny raids there's platforming there's puzzles and there's an expectation that your six person fire team is going to uh, coordinate very very well with people having very specific roles in order to get through um, a fairly relentless many hour session uh, a very complex dungeon and these are what any destiny player will tell you is by far the highlight this a destiny raid is something that's unmatched in any other first-person shooter or multiplayer game. It's very rich. So what we've got here is a, a, a really decent new raid. And just just to not bury the lead, this wouldn't change my score. It, in fact, it bolsters the uh, 8.5 that I gave it. So just a quick um, down low on what we expect here from this raid. So I was able to finally get... I, I just joined a, a clan. I was a clanless. I was homeless. Uh, clan took me in. 
and um, which was very lovely of them. And they were very quick to give me a, a, what they call a, a Sherpa. It's not a term that I personally like, but, you know, basically walk me through the roles and um, induct me into the process and make sure that I'm competent enough to get through the raid in future if I was to do so, if I was to do so without them. So a couple of the new features here is, or one of the new elements is this kind of call out feature. Throughout the raid from start to finish, there is these kind of sigils and symbols. Uh, there's about 27 odd of them. And at first glance, they're just, they're just small illustrations. Um, and it's the, the raid relies on you to be able to communicate and memorize a descriptor for each of these 27 or so odd sigils in any part of the raid because they will be used for puzzle purposes. There might be spe special doors that need to be unlocked in certain sequences in a particular very narrow set of time and it's going to require you to relay to your teammates that... Um, you know, this sigil is in this area, so therefore you've got to go to this other door, and it's, it becomes quite complex. There's a there's a small issue with this. These non fairly nondescript sigils, at first glance, if you didn't know what they were and you realised early on that you have to communicate them, there, there's the humour that um, you start referring to them as like, uh, you know, the flying Dorito and the the, the holy man and all this because they might just be like the silhouette of a person with a hole in the middle. They're quite, you know, they're fairly nondescript. But then we found out that it looks like Bungie has actually published uh, like a, a sheet that names each of these sigils. So um, the benefit is if you're playing on PC, you can have one screen dedicated to these callouts, these sigils. So you can see one in the game, you can quickly, you've got your reference sheet there and that's great. The problem is um, the game's now cross platform and that's been the best thing that's ever happened to the game bolstering the player base like never before but if you're on console and you're on your tv you've got the issue of how am i going to if i don't have a printout of these 27 or so sigils i've got to in a in a very fast-paced game where there's a lot of action happening i've got to glance away from the tv which will potentially result in death just to find out what these callouts are, and you're constantly going back and forth, and it's very, very difficult and fairly opaque. Now, I will clarify this by saying it took me a solid nine hours in one session to finish this raid. It was a full day. By the end of that raid, by the end of that day, I could memorize and without referring to this sheet, call out most of the callouts fairly confidently, but it was it never ceased being a problem for those in the clan and those in the raid that were on consoles. It's just it continued to be an issue for them, understandably so. So that's it it's it's a very interesting concept. It's really cool that they've introduced something like this, something that is radically different to the formula in terms of it's not just platforming puzzles and it's not just coordination problem solving you've got this actual new element but it's going to it's going to be a, a a fairly high hurdle for some um i guess yeah and and just lastly as well there uh the there's two bosses and, and they're both great bosses one's very the first one that you fight midway through the raid's very mechanical it requires a lot of coordination between the team where you'll have some people kiting him, sort of luring him in one direction so that his back can be exposed. He's got a weak point on his back, so you'll have people behind him shooting him and people in front of him shooting him to lure him one way and the other one's trying to damage his back. And, and that's cool. That's neither here nor there. It's fairly standard destiny. But the final boss, I think, takes a bit more of a page out of Dark Souls. Rather than a 
than a boss that's just a big bullet sponge with some shields that fire stuff at you and occasionally stomps on you. You've got more. You've got a, a, a primarily a big melee god, and he's in this huge arena. And eventually, you can sort of start to do damage to him. But he, whilst he's in this sort of damage phase, he's got this huge glaive, and he'll he's this gigantic being, and he'll like dash at the players and try and chop them down. So you're constantly moving around and trying to outwit him. And then he can just like unleash these torrents of energy in just uh, six different directions around him. So it's a very fast-paced and acrobatic fight. And I really like that. That was really fresh for Destiny, where it's just been a lots and lots of bullet spongy bosses. So something really unique for a change and really visceral. So a lot of fun there. Um, yeah, I don't. I will say it probably won't take the average uh, Destiny 2 rating team nine hours necessarily. Um, it will, obviously, if you've got good people leading you through, that's brilliant. I did have good people leading me through, but I think a lot of that nine hours was taken out for bong breaks. Um, because these guys were, I think half of them were stoned the entire time because every, every, every hour on the hour, I could just hear something bubbling away and, <laughs> um, and they got us there, but, um, yeah, they, they were, I mean, look, in fairness, I just want to clarify, uh, they were Canadian and Americans. So it turns out that my Australian clan is actually hosted by, uh, Canadian and Americans primarily because of the time zones. You know, they found it best to operate during Australian time zones. They probably, you know, they could be night shift workers or whatever. So we had a lot of fun. Um, I just don't know if necessarily playing Super Stone is going to get you through the raid faster. But, you know, whatever works for you, I still think it's a great raid. I uh, still might stand by my 8.5. And I'm really keen to see what we get in the future of Destiny 2. The Witch Queen. And I'm just going to segue now. And, and, and look, this is a really good segue. So we're going from bu Bungie. <laughs> we'll, put, we'll put the bong aside for a sec. We're going from Bungie's current big crowning jewel to something that Bungie gave to the gaming world a couple of decades ago. Halo. Uh, I've had the privilege of being able to see the first two episodes of the Halo television series, which you can now watch um, as of the podcast. And look, I, it's very difficult to talk about these two episodes without going into spoiler territory because the content is what's going to be most controversial. But I think without bearing the lead here, the elephant in the room is this is probably, this is for your casual uh, Halo enjoyer at, at best. If you're coming to this wanting a Halo adaptation and you're like a hardcore Halo fan, I have a very strong... Because I'm not a hardcore Halo fan. I've, I've finished them all. But if you ask me about the plot or anything, I couldn't tell you. It's just a game. Um, there, there are some choices made very early on. As, as early as the first episode and doubled down in the second episode where it strikes me as a show that only wants to use Halo as a license and probably do its own thing. It's The, the story, plot-wise, is set canonically... Um, earlier than the game so it's prior to reach reach being the canonically the earliest in the series it does make reference to reach uh and, and look that's what halo season one does loves to make references so you're going to see terrific costumes you know it's going to look the part the weapons are all there the covenants all there and covenant ships it all looks the part they say the right things you know there'll be mentions of you know, the sort of alien artifacts that the Covenant go for. There'll be mentions of Reach. There'll be sort of allusions, 
to halos, but this is distinctly lacking halos so far. And I think in terms of the thing that me, as someone that has enjoyed the Halo games, the, 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 the turn-off for me, or the thing that got me grinding my teeth particularly, is Halo has a really strong soundtrack right across the board, and that's not really the case here. And it's weird to single out a soundtrack, but I got really miffed because when the when the theme song starts, you get that, uh, and then it's just da, 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 just a completely different theme song after that. And it's such a cock tease, and oh, I had me grinding my teeth. Not a big deal, but I think it's a good metaphor for the series. So it loves to tease you in with a, a reference to Halo and something that looks or sounds like Halo, and then it goes completely left of field and does its own thing. Um, we'll wait to see. It's, I've only seen the first two episodes, um, but it kind of seems to be a sci-fi series that could have been anything but Halo. It's got a Halo veneer, but it, it kind of seems on par with maybe like, in my opinion, I got like notes of Battlestar Galactica and The Expanse and even Paramount's other big sci-fi show. I think there is a lot here that kind of parallels itself to maybe a bit more of a mature Star Trek, like Star Trek Discovery. When I say mature, the reason for that is it's gory. This series is violent. We're talking like decapitations and dismemberment. It's really bloody in a way that the games weren't, uh, which caught me off guard. Um, the action sequences, are, uh, because of that, the action sequences are super visceral. They came off looking a bit cheap, but that could have just been because the quality of the video I was watching was quite shit. Um, but I think if you come in with a lower expectation and you're not wanting a like a really authentic Halo adaptation, initially it's promising. And some of the well-played folks were mentioning uh, and having conversations saying that they had heard whispers and gotten the impression that it had kind of a bit of a Mandalorian bent. And unfortunately, that is true and it's not subtle. Um, the, the plot beats pretty much parallel Mandalorian beat for beat. You've got... Without spoiling anything, Master Chief is sort of in his custodian of a child and he's kind of um, had to abandon his values and his duty in order to take care of this child. He's not really sure why he's taking care of this child. And then they go off and have adventures. So it's, it's something. Um, I'll stick around. I'll keep watching this season. I'll have a review up. Hopefully, well, probably within the week, uh, just seeing how much more I can get a hold of if there's any more episodes uh, for the reviewers. If not, if it's just the first two episodes, you'll get a review on those. It's certainly watchable. It's certainly enjoyable if you come with the right headspace. But uh, I don't know if it's really going to stand out when you've got um, Star Wars currently crowding the sci-fi space very strongly with The Mandalorian and Halo's just not bringing a very strong character to four at the outset. It's got the impression, or rather it wants it wants you to feel like because it's Halo, it's super, super rich because of its source material, and it's constantly putting that in your face, but it doesn't really back it up. So uh, at the moment, if I was to score it, I'd probably be giving it like a 6.5. Um, it's on the better side of average, and... I think, depending on how they tackle the plot later on in the, se on, in the season, it could it could come out quite strong. We might just have gotten off to a bit of a, a slow and rocky start. But, um, yeah, worth a watch. Nice. I um, probably won't watch it. I don't think I... Um... <laughs> I think you had, you had impressions on the trailer, and I think 
what you take from the trailer is a fairly accurate yeah yeah impression of of what you're going yeah. to get i i'm i'm glad i don't care about halo or i'd probably be a little bit more upset yeah. in general um, yeah I, i'm with you but, yeah i think uh, that's where i'm at i'm kind of glad that i'm not in that fan base so i don't have to be outraged about the choices <laughs> that are being made yeah the, are, you gonna, the, are you gonna give it a go adam nah fuck no i don't give a shit <laughs> Yeah, the Halo loyalists, I suspect, are going to be particularly venomous. I don't think it's necessarily earned, but you know how fandom is. So, yeah. Speaking of fandom, do you do you think from the first two episodes that you've watched that we're going to get a two-hour-long solo podcast from Jordan saying he has everything wrong with the Halo series? I think that is going to be a huge mark of the discourse over the next few weeks. I think cool. we're going to be hearing about some very spicy opinions on the Halo series if people actually care enough to watch it. Yeah, gotcha. All right. The pressure's on PlayStation to pull something out with the Last of Us series just to make a case for video games being turned into series, which I still personally don't believe in. But I will uh, comment, though, and say, as far as video game adaptations are concerned, this is perfectly fine. Like, this is really good. Okay. Like, it doesn't have that tackiness of a video game adaptation. And I think the reason for that is because the video game is merely a veneer of a, what is a very competent um, sci-fi space opera. Yeah. Cool. Mm. All right. Well, um, thanks for that, Nathan. You can, uh, it's out now, right? Or the first yeah. two. I'm not sure if the first two, two but I know at least it's, 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 if you're listening to this, it's definitely out. Okay, cool. Um, and that's on Paramount plus. It is indeed. Very good. Uh, if nobody else has anything to add to that, I think we'll move on to a little bit of a little bit of the news. Let's do um, it. We'll we'll probably blow through this quite quickly because this is a Zach Jackson free podcast. We want it to move along nice and nice and swiftly. <laughs> <laughs> um, starting off strongly with a game that I don't even really want to talk about, but we we kind of have to. Um, Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, in between. Uh, this this happened in between podcasts? I guess it has been a while, hasn't it? It, it happened the day of the podcast yeah, of going live, it which it of course um, it fucking did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. PlayStation had their own little um, state of play stream for it. We saw about 15 minutes of gameplay. Um, the discourse online is obviously still very heated and with good reason. Um, did you all both watch this or have you caught up with it? Do you have any thoughts? I'm, I'm not there. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a Harry Potter phase at the moment, right? So I'm reading, uh, y- as you know, I've been reading through the books. I'm currently going through Order of the Phoenix. And as you get further on the series, I find that it, it, you enjoy it more. It becomes a little less formulaic in, in parts, but I didn't check this out at all. But uh, can you tell me who, who, who are the villains in this? Cause I, I heard, but I wasn't, I didn't double check. And what I heard made me really raise my eyebrows. So could you, You've seen it, right? I assume. Yeah. So, um, although I, I'm ashamed to admit I haven't really been around uh, the situation with the, I guess the goblins or the like the banker goblins in the Harry Potter franchise, um, but I, I've become since become aware that there is a um, very firm belief that there's a little bit of anti-Semitism in there. Um, yeah, I, I, which, mm-hmm. which looking back, like, yep. Okay. 
Yep, I can see that. You can um, see so, it. Yep. So yeah, those guys are the bad guys. Um, they're encroaching mm. on the um the good uh, law and order of the eighteen hundreds uh, wizarding universe. Um, and so you've got to yep wipe those bad boys out. That does, uh, okay. That that seems like a weird place to start in what is kind of a rich enough world. Like that's kind of is that scraping the bottom of the barrel or is that just uh, me being picky? I I am not familiar enough with the source material, but <sighs> it doesn't seem like the most compelling choice that could have been made. It just seems like an awkward one. Um, <laughs> it does. Given the it's a bit of a, of those characters. It's a bit of a two pronged fuck up because a with all the controversy going around, I feel like Port Key. It's it is Port Key, yeah. The the mm. dev team, yeah. Uh, and Avalanche. Would, yes, and Avalanche. That's right. Would want to maybe steer clear of any parallels that could be drawn between them and J.K. Fuckwit. Um, and the, the problematic material, yeah. Exactly, which unfortunately that isn't the case. But yeah, to your to your point, Nathan, it's also a really boring choice. Yeah. Like it's it's not like they showed the villain and they showed the some characters fighting him, and it looked it looked a bit on the boring side. There's plenty from that trailer that I was really impressed with and a lot of it looked really cool and just being a part of that world I think will be enough for a lot of people um but yeah the main driving force seems a bit lackluster which is unfortunate from a series that historically has had really memorable villains and I think that's that's probably what's going to do it in the most is parallels are obviously going to be drawn to Voldemort and to whoever old mate is in Fantastic Beasts the name I've forgotten um but yeah the villains that Grindelwald. Either, Grindelwald thank you either care about or are interested in and yeah this yeah doesn't look like it's going to be the case unfortunately mm-hmm. mm. yeah look I like I watched the I watched the presentation um and the game looks good like it looks solid they're taking a very kitchen sink approach to what you can do in the game which is pretty much everything um so you know no idea how that's going to actually turn out as an end product at the end of the day, but you know, what's there looks like a fully fledged, rich, polished, visually nice open world Harry Potter game. Um, so I'm sure that the people who are in for it are going to get exactly what they want out of it or mostly what they want out of it. Um, but obviously there's a lot to consider if you are planning on purchasing or playing it. Um, GameSpot, uh, one of their writers, I've forgotten their name now, but had a very, very good, um, very informative, actually, article about, uh, you know, re- wrestling with the the fact that obviously the the person, the figurehead at the at the top of this series is an open transphobe um, and has yes. been very, very recently treating tweeting very concerning things. Um, so there's yeah there's a lot to reconcile there. Um, so I I would urge anyone to to go and read that uh, article on GameSpot by Jesse Earl. Um, it's called J.K. Rowling's anti-transgender stance and Hogwarts legacy. Um, very very good, very compelling read. Uh, but moving on from that. Uh, oh, and also the game won't have multiplayer apparently, which I'm sure is good news for a lot of people because that would have been a nightmare. Uh, to yep. begin with, um, it, it, it looks like a very, very strong single player game. So it's good that yeah. that's what they're focused on. Never struck me as something that needed or yeah, it, it didn't, didn't seem like multiplayer would fit in that. So fair play. Yeah. 
Um, in other open world fantasy video game news, CD Projekt Red finally copped up, uh, admitted to a new Witcher game being in development. They've steered away from saying it's a Witcher 4. Um, it obviously seems very much like a new, a fresh start. I don't know in what capacity that means in terms of the actual gameplay itself or the structure itself, but yeah, it seems like a, a fresh new Geralt Free Witcher title. Um, they teased it with a, a teaser image showing a medallion, which a lot of us assumed was like a cat school medallion, Yeah. Um, but have since come out and said, hey, actually, no, this is a brand new Witcher school called the School of the Lynx. Um, mm. which is also very exciting. I mean, it's not the first time they've added like their own made-up schools to the, the franchise. I think the Witcher books only have like three. Yeah, um, there's like yeah, six there's or only seven a in the games. Mm. Um, so, I mean, they've obviously dealt with that well in the past and in creating their own sort of lore within the Witcher universe. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, hopefully it opens the doors to a very interesting new main character or main characters or whatever i don't know it could be custom characters could be anything at this stage it's obviously very early doors um and they're obviously going to want to take their time after cyberpunk 2077 um yeah. <laughs> do you guys do you guys have any like any wish list kind of like bullet point like what would you want out of a new witcher game just like very rapid fire quick question look i'd be this is gonna probably sound a bit redundant but I loved The Witcher 3. I still rank it as one of my favourite RPGs. It, it yeah. blew me away on every level. Yeah. But I think what I did love so much about that was the depth of the world and its characters. So I would say I would be quite happy in having that world again because we actually saw most of the charted Witcher mm. universe in that game. You know, the fact that we yeah. saw Skelliger and all that. I'd be happy to retread that world again in the Unreal Engine 5 yeah. But then the issue would be you kind of want to set it at maybe in a different time period. But then there's some people thinking that this could be, a, could be a Siri adventure and give me that. I'd, I'd absolutely love a Siri adventure. Um, my I, I, my mind is well open because uh, the Witcher 3 did no wrong in my mind other than the fact that it did it, it too launched in a suboptimal state. Um I've, I, I've, and, and then, of course, we, we lose some goodwill from Cyberpunk. So... I remain cautiously optimistic. I want to see the the, the world that we've already seen through a new yeah. lens would be my agreed. number one. Yeah, yeah. A new, new time period in the same same world would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like maybe setting up Siri as a player, as a main character, could lead to some very overpowered situations. But um, <laughs> Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Adam? I, yeah, I agree with Nathan. I think a, a time jump either forward or backwards, I'm not really too phased which way. I think backward would be really cool. I'd like to see a game set at the height of the witch's notoriety and yes, fame, absolutely. I suppose, whatever you want to call it, like the height of their powers. Um, because by the time we're introduced to, to those factions, they're a shell of what they used to be. They're broken down. They're disbanded. I'd like to see... I don't, I don't want to see really many returning characters. I don't want to see Siri. I don't really want to see Geralt. A little bit of Vesemir, like young Vesemir, I'd be kind of cool with. Oh, um, you got me there. But I'd like to see, yeah, way back in the past at the height of the, the witch's powers and to see what the world was like when 
monsters really, really roamed free in the wilds because by the time we see it, they're kind of, they're dwindled. That's why the, the witches have dwindled. There's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship there. So yeah, I'd like to see way back in the day, let's, let's turn to the history books from the continent. Yeah, that means look. even better, even, even better monster hunting. So I'm on, yeah. I'm on board with that idea. Yeah. Very that's much what I'd like so. to see. Very nice. Um, hopefully we'll have more information on that in the, the very near future. Um, moving on though, PlayStation has made another acquisition. Uh, this time it is Haven Studios, which is an interesting one because this is a studio that's yet to put anything out. Um, famously started up by Jade Raymond. What was it last year? Was it? Yeah, I think it was like March last year. So they are very new. They're a very, very young studio um, working on a AAA multiplayer experience uh, that focuses on a systemic and evolving world. So very current, very contemporary buzzwords there. Um, but it seems like this is what PlayStation is investing in at the moment. Um, yeah. Do you think Bungie involvement for this as yeah, far I as think maybe, so. I think maybe not direct involvement, play. but yeah, their, their architecture for as far as like the, yeah. the multiplayer I think, side of things I think in the same way I think in the same way that Naughty Dog has kind of helped them to co- to cultivate an environment where s- very rich single player games can thrive I think they want Bungie to have that same effect on the multiplayer sphere yeah not necessarily a direct involvement but use them as a base you know use them For sure. to support that framework and to to push their other developers into that so I'd, I'd say that yeah these are ver- though this and the Haven Studios um mm-hmm acquisition of very very strategic plays for that sphere um, yeah i'm but, always keen when it's uh, i see a lot of people when our article went live and everyone else is saying like oh they haven't made anything it's hard to get excited about this that and the other because we don't know what they're they're bringing out why didn't they acquire a studio that has a pedigree in this that and the other i i think this excites me more than say they were to acquire some studio that's been making maybe Assassin's Creed for a long time. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, because it means something new. It means they are working on a new IP. It's something fresh and they're cultivating creativity rather than repetition. So I'm, I'm yeah. down to see what, what yeah. Haven's got, got cooking. And I mean, and, and Jade Raven's got a good, uh, good back catalog of, I mean, Assassin's Creed one and two, like, yeah. Executive exactly. producer of Assassin's Creed 2, arguably still like one of the peaks of that series. Um, yep. I think, you know, it's in good hands. So Absolutely. it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, Godfall's coming to Xbox on April 7. Cool. Yay. Um, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> Is anybody, I don't know, maybe people will play it now? Is that a thing for Game nah, Pass? No, man. I've Resurrecting got Dead Falls. Games. We got that. <laughs> we don't need Godfall. We got other things falling that are fucking way better. Um, Adam, tell me about Suicide Squad. What happened? Yeah, so it, it's it it maybe it may no, it definitely got delayed. So as old Jason Schreier from Bloomberg reported last month, uh, it is now official. Rocksteady have come out and said that they're going to be pushing the game back until autumn of 2023 which is unfortunate, but not at all surprising from the amount we've seen and the kind of the radio silence that Rocksteady has has had, which 
I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm more than happy to just wait it out. If it was like a, a sequel to the Arkham games and it was furthering that story and it was something that I was already invested in, I might be a little bit fidgety and wanting to get my hands on it, but it's new. It is a different approach to gameplay. It's multiplayer. I, I'm happy to just wait and be excited when it's a month away. So I don't mind too much. Nice. Nathan, you planning on playing this? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've really quite enjoyed uh, Rocksteady's uh, DC games. Like all, all the Batmans were good. I was a little lukewarm on Arkham Knight. You know, thought mm. it made some interesting decisions I, I didn't love. But really strong series. I would love to see this. I really like the the cast they've picked out. You know, obviously King the, the King Shark's got character. Oh. Uh, King King Shark's such a such a notable, like he's come from obscurity, right? Like before last yes. year, would you even know or give a crap? Adam, yes, obviously, but the average I, I, since no. since the um since the Harley Quinn series. Oh my oh, goodness! What a take is he in that? Oh my, that's fuck number so one. Good. Now it King Shark's strong in in yep. the media sphere at the moment, but Harley Quinn's uh, King Shark is a choice, and I yep. love it. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So keen, keen for this, but like Adam says, I feel like we've got enough on the horizon that that can just sort of sneak out yeah. the periphery yeah. for a little bit and it can come back when it's ready and we'll be excited for it then. Absolutely. I'd, I'd be keen if it just stayed completely silent for six to eight months and then at whatever event just went, hey, game's coming out in three months, all aboard the hype train, so then I can yes. get excited about it. Let's just do that. I'd be keen. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of games that have been radio silent and are coming out in less than three months, A Plague Tale Requiem. Uh, <laughs> two things happened. One is the trophy list went live uh, for the PS5 version of the game, which is very interesting. It's quite early. Um, you can jump over to uh, trophy and achievement aggregate website power picks, and you can actually read them in full if you want to spoil a game that ha- doesn't even have a release date yet. Um, <laughs> be my guess. I'm definitely not going to do that. Um, the other thing is uh, a bunch of folks are speculating that the game is coming out in June, particularly on June uh, 17th or 18th, depending on your time zone, based on a Microsoft store listing that says it's coming out on that date last year. Um, I think those people are wrong. I don't know how many people <laughs> uh, look at the 100 tweets that I make a day, but um I firmly believe that it's coming out in the second week of May or the third week of May, uh, mid-May essentially, based on my PlayStation Store sleuthing. So we'll see who's right about that uh, very, very shortly, obviously. <laughs> but given the given that the trophies are already live, I'd say it's sooner rather than later. So yeah, for sure. They're really kind of holding out on telling us about this uh, until you know it's go time, essentially. It's exciting. Um, so it is exciting. I really I like like Adam was just saying, like, I like that. I'm happy with just hearing nothing and then them going, bam. It's well, that's what be we in got with Ghostwire, right? Uh, yeah, essentially. Pretty much, um, yeah. Yeah, we only had like 10, 11 state of play uh, features in that game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we go, like, it was kind of quiet for a period and then it kind of popped up and then, oh, by the way, it's releasing in like yeah. a month and a half. Yeah, mm. yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely into that. Um... Did you both play the original? I've pl- I've just played an hour and I've okay. set it aside and it's gone in the backlog and it, I thought it almost made the shortlist for this year's 
It could make a return for next year's, depending it's on how It's not overly much. long. You should you should definitely get around it. Yeah, look, uh, when this comes out, I'm sure Zach will be nagging us, so it, it will probably be an obligation by the, before <laughs> too long. Um, yeah, sick. Uh, I, I, can, I can feel uh, his erection from here, <laughs> which is saying something. Um, <laughs> another another little surprise though um, and I'm not a big Ghostbusters fan but I'm sure that people that are Ghostbusters fans uh, were keen to, to catch wind of this but there is a new Ghost, Ghostbusters game coming out uh, and it is an asymmetrical 4v1 uh, this is basically if you're an 80s franchise and you want to make a video game this is how you do it apparently <laughs> um Yep, multiplayer uh, game by Ilphonic, the guys behind Friday the Thirteenth and Predator Hunting Grounds. Uh, Adam, what what do we need to know about this? A that it will probably be incredibly, incredibly close to the source material, potentially to a fault, like the other two games that you just mentioned. Yep. Um, so if you're a Ghostbusters fan, um, outside of uh, the the title ghostbusters that came out on ps3 which if you are a ghostbusters fan you should play it's fucking amazing um this is as close as you're gonna get to being probably in the world i would assume because uh, you can play as ghostbusters obviously and as a ghost um but outside of that you'll actually be able to go to like the firehouse and hang out in classic locations like that um and dan Aykroyd is coming back uh to to voice his character to race dance and Winston's coming back. Ernie Hudson's voicing that character again. So it's very, it's very faithful to, to all of that love that the, the community, the Ghostbusters community, I suppose, if you can call them that has. Um, and being that afterlife is about, I'm sure it will, it'll get a boost in popularity again, as it, as it always does, probably not after the, the all-female led one but the less we talk about that the better but yeah asymmetrical 4v1 one person plays as a ghost the other four are the busters and one person's trying to scare everyone out of the building the other four are trying to bust bust a ghost <laughs> that's what <Not> it's safe <laughs> is that like that should be slang for uh, yep. Yeah, let's do this at the tail end of the podcast. That should be slang for when you've had too many wanks in a day and there's just nothing comes out. You just bust in a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fart out your urethra. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of erectoplasm. Oh. <laughs> That's good. That is good. <laughs> Nathan, <laughs> Nathan, are you going to play whatever the fuck game this is? Oh, that, that's going to be a no. <laughs> no, no from me. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, I, I've never, other than Evolve, I don't think I've ever really gotten into any of the sort of asymmetrical multiplayer games. And I didn't mind Evolve, but... It kind of feels like some of these games are just kind of, I don't know, because I haven't played them, but how much do they rely on the strength of their license over the actual game play? You'd know, Adam. You've, you've played Friday the 13th, haven't you? Oh, it's so hard because I love Friday the 13th and I love Predator. So it yeah. could lean really heavily on it and I may not notice because I'm a uh, nostalgic prick. 
Um, it <laughs> does, but it's so faithful to them that it's, you, you can almost forgive it. Like the Friday the 13th mm-hmm. game is janky as fuck, but it is so much fun because like as Jason approaches the, like the title theme starts playing. So like you can tell how close <laughs> it is based on how loud the music's getting and it's just little things like that. And the predator, you can hear him jumping around in the trees and the, that really horrifying clicking noise, like all of the little details they, they makes the experience. If you're a fan of those, those 80 actions, eighties action horror, um, the, like the gameplay is it's, it's going to be janky. It's going to be rough, but it'll be fun. Like playing with friends is, it is genuinely fun. So even if you did take the license away, it, it is a good time. It's definitely, it's not going to get any tens, but it'll be, it'll be fun above all else. Yeah. My, my only concern I think um, is I'd, I'd be open to playing it, but as we've learned historically, Australia is one of those countries where multiplayer audiences move on. Yeah. And from what I remember, Friday the 13th and particularly Predator died fairly quickly over here with our audience. So, and, and Predator Absolutely. had a pretty hefty price tag for a game to lose its community so soon. So, mm-hmm. um, the price is going to have to be right. That's a Agreed. hard one. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's all we got for the for the news this week. Do we have any off topics? Um, you guys been watching anything? Listening to anything? Anything big happened in your lives? Witness anything interesting? <laughs> Always like to have a quick bit of telly chat. Um, finally got around to I've had I've had a few people sort of nag me for a while, uh, but I've gotten around to watching Ted Lasso, and sort of watched not not quite finished the second season, and it's good like it's very endearing, but at the same time just sort of watching it with April, I feel very conscious of my whiteness, so, so to speak. Like <laughs> it's 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 got an audience. And it kind of feels like it's got a very white audience. Like it's a mm. comedy that's kind of set up to make white people feel good. And I think sometimes mm. at the expense of other audiences, because it has a lot of, oh, I don't want to say tokenistic, but you're kind of tokenistic characters um, and behaviors that are very, it's, if, I love that it's got this American character sort of doing life in the UK, but again, it's all very, white privilege it's all very it's privileged to a particular viewpoint and i was just sitting there i can enjoy it and get a lot of whimsy out of it and april can watch it and just not connect with it at all because she's got a different cultural background and that's uh that's a limiter for her and i didn't consider that because of my privileged viewpoint so as much as i find it endearing and whimsical to watch uh, it's certainly not for everyone Uh, But one thing I did learn, of course, is that's on Apple TV. And Apple TV is really bulking out its catalogue with some pretty decent stuff. Um, They've got Servant by M. Night Shyamalan, which I'd argue is easily his best work. I mean, he directs only a few episodes a season, but I think he's the executive producer, so has complete oversight over it all. It's very compelling. It's this kind of um, thriller, horror set in just a, a home in Pennsylvania and almost... The entire it's three seasons and every episode pretty much almost entirely is just set in this home of this um, news reporter and this chef that hire this nanny to take care of their child. The only issue is is the child died and they were looking after a doll 
that the that the mother of the house looked at the doll and she'd think that the doll was a child and they all just kind of um went along with it because to just out just to not bring up any trauma for her that's how she was dealing with her trauma pretending this doll was a real child and then the um the the caretaker comes into the home and she's from a, a cult and as soon as she enters the home the doll becomes a real baby and it really every episode just sort of creeps and creeps and it's not like out and out horror there's no jump scares it just sort of simmers below the surface a lot of tension yeah, so nice. that's really exciting and, and it's it's short you know the seasons are i think eight episodes and 30 minutes an episode so it's really pacey um yeah my favorite m night Shyamalan stuff uh what else is on apple tv yeah they've got the after party which i talked about a couple of weeks back really great comedy from um smith and lord the folks that did the lego movie and jump street and a whole bunch of other comedies and um they've got severance which is directed by ben stiller which is this really cool sort of creepy thriller drama about um office life when people have to uh basically live a separate life when they enter the office and they have no recollection of their outside life and then when they leave the office they have no recollection of life inside the office so they live these two lives but there's some kind of sort of dystopian shit going on with it because it's all as a part of a brain operation that this happens so yeah i guess uh the off topic for me is if you're running out of things on your streaming service give apple tv a try they have some really prestige stuff on there at the moment nice Hmm. Go over to apple.com and use the code uh, well shaved. Shaved apples. Well harvested. Shaved apples. Hey. Um, Don't do that. It won't do anything. Have you seen the Manscaped ad where they shave like kiwi fruit or something as an example of how (laughs) how effective (laughs) the lawnmower is on fruit? I laugh. I think it's it's very amusing. They should do it though, like when the kiwi fruit inside has like been scooped out, so you get the accurate like <gasps> viscosity of the, oh, the sack. Oh yes. <laughs> no, I'm pr- anyway. proud to say that my kiwis have uh, never been less fuzzy. Love it. Don't mind a bit of kiwi fuzz. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or or hairy testicles. <laughs> I was gonna ask. Either or. Adam, you been watching anything? You do anything? Uh, not watching a great deal, okay. but I do, I do have a, a fairly sizable, uh, life announcement. So Key and I recently moved down to Hobart, new house. Uh, her and I have been together for seven years, I think now. And we've lived together. You better not for, think you better know. I, I, it is. Yeah. It's seven years last September. Um, okay, good. and we've lived together for six of those years. And I decided that there was uh, something new that needed to, to happen. So this week, just gone, we bought a dining table. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, that boy. Is, uh, for people in our age group, that is a bigger jump than anything else you could possibly do. Millennials yeah, just don't absolutely. own dining tables just these days. This is tables. really novel. And what kind, of, what kind of size is it? Do you have measurements? Let me know. It's a oh I don't have size. It's it can comfortably fit, it can comfortably fit four, but then it extends out to comfortably yes. fit six. That's and yep, it, I've got the same. After, yep. It fits in the spot perfectly. Uh, we can actually have our meals and be comfortable and chat to each other like you know old school humans. 
uh, rather than sitting on the floor or using a coffee table. It's This is the first time we've ever owned a dining table, and it, it is a bigger thing than I thought oh, it was wow. going to be. It's fucking great. And, and does it fulfill that other special requirement that a dining table should have in a gamer's household? Yes. <laughs> it ticks all the Three boxes, sims. man. I could oh. not be more excited about a piece of furniture. I am stoked. But yeah, that's, that's it. Great. That's the highlight of, well uh, of my week. I love that. That's awesome. Um, you'll have to, I don't know, maybe review it for the for Well Played. Put out a, yeah, put fuck up it. a little, do a little photo <laughs> mode article. The top five most uh, dragons I'd fuck most on my new dining table. I don't know. Um, get it up there. We can, I we can workshop it. it. We'll, we'll or just throw it in the Slack so we can have a look at it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, myself, uh, what's going on with you? I finished Ragnarok. Um, well, the, the two seasons that are out. I think I spoke about that last time. You did. Um, How do you feel about, about it now you've finished up? Because I'm still uh, curious. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, is there going to be more than two seasons? Yes, as they've confirmed a third season is on the way. Um, I don't think they have a, a date for it yet, and the second season is still relatively fresh. Um, but I'm very, very keen to see more. Uh, there's there's definitely a lot left unanswered, so um, uh, yeah, a, a new season is is definitely necessary. I think if you I think if you just carve out some time, I think they're forty minutes a piece just to watch the first two episodes. Mm. Um, you'll get a pretty good impression from that, uh, whether you want to keep going with it. Um, good. it's got a very particular pace and a very particular style, um, that well, it's Scandinavian. Uh, so that's yeah, exactly. territory. Yeah. 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 Yep. So if you, yeah, if you've seen, you know, those kind of pseudo, uh, sci-fi fantasy kind of modern world thrillers from like dark and stuff, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's very similar. So we, I think, I think you would, I think you would like it. Um, I also started watching Raised by Wolves. Yeah, um, all right. I think I've watched four episodes now. Yeah, you'd have a good taste um, for it. You'd know if you like it or not. I I I don't mind it. It's yeah. um, it's it definitely feels like uh, like you. I think you were talking about it um being like a Ridley Scott joint. It it feels like all the like bananas it's, ideas that he it, had yeah, floating it's around. Peak Ridley Scott, just um, unhinged. So like at at points it, it goes it kind of veers off into like uh, territory where you're like I don't know if I believe this this is a bit like this is a bit too much, um, but I I there's something about it that I dig the vibe is there, um, it's got some cool ideas, um, I'm keen yeah I'm I'm keen to see where it goes I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it, mm. um, yeah there's there's just like there's something about something about uncharted planets um, when they're very well realized that I just love, like just not knowing what's around a corner, just knowing that at any moment the penny could drop and something could shift radically. Like I think in the last episode, you know, they, they make some pretty big discoveries out in the, like the wastes of this planet. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it. You've, you've absolutely got the right mindset for it. So yeah, see how you go. Uh, second season's just wrapped up. I haven't watched it, but it's, it's on my list. Um, I, just a, a very quick segue. You liked Russian Doll, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. You? Yeah, I loved it. Uh, new season coming out in just a few weeks. Yeah, it's coming out in April. Very they keen. finally announced it. Like yeah. well, they, we knew it was coming, but we didn't know when. And I just saw it last night, and I was like, oh, and there's a trailer too. 
yeah, I haven't watched the trailer. I kind of just want to wait for it to to drop. But you should, yeah. I mean, you should just wait. Yeah, yeah. Leave the trailer. Yeah, best way to go in blind. Yeah, mm. very exciting stuff. Um, and I think with that, we'll call it a night uh, or a morning or whenever you're listening to this. If you're listening to it at all, if you've stuck with us this far, thank you very much. Um, make sure you email. Zach at wellplayed.com.au and let him know that uh, this was the best episode yet. I think you meant well hyphened played. Is well, that right? well <laughs> I was trying to avoid giving anyone his real email address, but uh, <laughs> I definitely do it. Um. <laughs> so I only just found out uh, last week that if you go to like wellplayed.com.au, it takes you like some golf site or something. Like yeah, I didn't know that. Golf, yeah. really? I love yeah. it. Yeah. So the hyphen's important, apparently. <laughs> Well, if there's a guy at that golf website named Zach, um, I apologize for the incoming hate mail. Um, but yeah, you know, you can check out everything that we've spoken about. There's quite a few other reviews up on the website as well as a couple from uh, some regulars. Um, and there's a new uh, new player in the well-played team as well, uh, Chantal McCall, who is a very, very talented writer. Um, her first review is up on the website for... Uh, fuck, I forgot the name of the game. Cardboard Kings. Cardboard KK. Kings, um, which is an Aussie-developed uh, light management sim about running a trading card store, which is very exciting stuff. Um, so it's very, very, very nice review, so well worth the read. Jump on over there. The website is well-played.com.au. Um, make sure you also check out manscaped.com. Use the code WELLSHAVED to get 20% off all the products uh, you heard about in Ash's little discussion midway there. Um, other than that, you guys got anything else to add? I was just wishing everyone a nice and happy week ahead, particularly in spite of the fact that there seems to be a little COVID panic creeping up again. So, yeah, stay safe yeah. out there. Stay inside and play all the new video games that are out that we You've that got no reason to leave the break. house. Exactly. Save your petrol, so stay inside, play some games. Brilliant. Love you all. Goodbye. Bye now. Signing off. Bye-bye.